This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host Vicki Bolson is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. Hey, Vicki. Hey, Kathy. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm actually just really jazzed up because um, we have a very, very special guest here today, a company that has inspired me since the time I was a small girl. And um, they've had some recent challenges, and so it's a very timely topic to have today. Uh, Today we have a true pioneer in the corporate social responsibility movement. In fact, I think most people of our generation might credit this company as being the pioneer of the movement. Founded in 1982 by actor Paul Newman, who I always had a crush on, even though he was old (laughs) enough to be my grandpa. Me too. Um, (laughs) Newman's own began with a single product of oil and vinegar salad dressing and was guided by two principles. Quality will always trump the bottom line, and 100% of profits will go to charity. At the time of its inception, many doubted whether a business that gives 100% of its profits and royalties to charity could survive. Now, 35 years later, the answer is a resounding yes. With more than 300 food and beverage products and having given away more than $500 million to charity, Newman's Own has paved the way for a new way of doing business. Paul created Newman's Own Foundation in 2005 to ensure the charitable commitment of the company would continue after his passing. Recently, this innovative business model was challenged by a decades-old tax law. Today, we have Jeff Brown, the Executive Vice President and Chief Administration Officer for Newman's Own Foundation and Newman's Own, Inc. In that role, Jeff is responsible for corporate governance, government relations, corporate communication, human resources, legal facilities, general administration, and strategic planning. It, they do have other people that work there, too. That's quite a, that's quite a big, big load. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, he chairs the Newman's Own Cabinet of Senior Managers and is a member of Newman's Own Philanthropic Enterprises, the oversight function for all Newman's Own entities. Jeff is going to talk with us today about being involved with this unique company, the recent challenges they have had to their business model, and how their future is shaping up. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much. Hi, Pleasure Jeff. To be here. Hi, Jeff. Wow. Hi, how are you? We are so honored to have you here today. And I am just going to start off by asking you the question that I've been dying to know, and that is, how did Newman's Own even come to be? Sure. It's it's actually a very simple story. Paul was a foodie long before the Food Channel existed, before anybody knew what the term was. He just liked good food. And uh, uh, his favorite meal was actually salads. He had his own uh, salad dressing recipe that he made for years. In fact, when he used to go out to uh, restaurants, he used to ask for the ingredients and make it up right at the table for uh, everybody that was uh, that was at the table. And one year around the holidays, he made up this large batch and he put it in old wine bottles, gave it out to all his neighbors as the, uh, his family ran around the neighborhood singing Christmas carols. And about a couple of weeks later, people started uh, showing back up with their empty bottles, asking for a <laughs> refund, and joking with him that he should, uh, you know, market the product and try and do something with it. And, after some thought and some joking around with a, a good friend of his, A.E. Hotchner, they decided to give it a go, throw caution to the wind, and see if they could get it on store shelves and uh, launch what is 
today a product line that uh, numbers over 300 different products. Gosh. So uh, just another thought that comes to my mind is with so many different products, how do you determine and involve Paul in those new product decisions? Paul was a very genuine um, uh, individual, and he, when he thought was thinking about starting the uh, the company, he consulted with a lot of marketing experts and uh, uh, people in the food space, and they described to him the whole process of focus groups and market research studies and the millions of dollars that he would have to spend on all of that. And he just had, you know, as I said, he was a foodie. He had a great palate, uh, and he said, you know, we're just going to offer the products that we like to eat. And hopefully people will share that uh, enthusiasm and buy it. And if not, then, you know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun while we tried. And so to this day, uh, we don't do focus groups with our uh, uh, our new product development. We actually bring all of the associates together and we try out different recipes and decide what we like. And that's what we launch. I bet the wine tasting one was a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a particularly popular one. Lots of volunteers for that one. Exactly. Well, so Jeff, you all have been in the news recently um, with some kind of tax changes that are going on or and yeah. things that have been sort of looming in your future. And can, so can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. I, you know, the... Um, the issue came about while while Paul was alive um, and running the company. It was a, an S corp, and at the end of every year, he would total up the revenues that were derived, and he'd pay his taxes to the government, and then what was left over, he'd start writing checks to um, to charities and uh, and giving it all away. When he passed away, he left full interest in the food company to the foundation that he had created to professionalize. The, uh, the philanthropic giving, because uh, uh, by 2005, when he created the foundation, it was quite a lot of money was was flowing through to uh, uh, to charity. And unfortunately, this triggered um, a complication caused by the uh, a tax code provision that was passed back in 1969 that prohibited private foundations from owning more than 20 percent of a for profit uh, a for profit entity. So after he left the food company to the foundation. The foundation had under the tax code five years to reduce its interest in the food company to 20 percent or uh, or less. You are allowed under unusual circumstances to file with the IRS for an extension, which we did, and they gave us the maximum extension allowed of five years. But that time frame was running out the end of this year. And so we either had to find a legislative solution to the uh, to the issue well, we're going to have to be forced to break up the company by the uh, by the end of this year. So we had quite a gun to our head and a lot of work to do. Oh, wow. So where does everything stand right now? Well, we have, uh, our CEO, Bob Forrester, had started trips down to Washington starting back in uh, 2009. And uh, we recently added up that since his very first meeting with uh, uh, one of our local congressmen uh, here in Connecticut – He's had 1,500 different meetings with uh, either members of Congress, members of their staff, our advisors, all relating to the development and ultimate passage of uh, what's known as the Philanthropic Enterprise Act. And that was a uh, provision that was developed uh, or an act that was uh, developed in conjunction with what's called the Joint Committee on Taxation to design a narrow exemption to the uh, tax act that I was referring to. Before, we had tremendous bipartisan support 
it was, you know, it actually had a positive revenue score. No revenues to the government or uh, taxes. It was considered non-controversial. We had a number of committees that uh, unanimously voted it uh, out of committee. The challenge was because we were changing the tax code or proposing to change the tax code, it required a tax bill uh, or it had to be part of a larger a larger tax bill. There had been for years the anticipation that there would be an omnibus tax reform act. And so for quite a number of years, as we were building support, we were patiently waiting for this tax reform bill to come, which actually uh, did come uh, uh, most recently. And in the 11th hour, after all these years of uh, waiting because of a uh, parliamentary maneuver, we ended up getting removed from the bill, not because of anything to do with the merits of the bill, but because of some parliamentary rule was um, uh, was in jeopardy, and we found ourselves um, left at the altar, if you will, with uh, a lot of tremendous support, but excluded from the one bill that had been the vehicle that we thought that we were waiting for. And fortunately, uh, the leadership on both sides of the aisle, the House and the Senate, um, got together, and when they uh, did this big budget deal, earlier, they uh, were able to include it as part of that, along with some other uh, tax provisions that they had. And on February 9th, it was actually signed into law by the president, and we got a reprieve. And were you pretty shocked with how all that kind of played out? Because it was a long well, process, right? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you think about that, you know, the process started in 2009. It was a tremendous amount of activity. Uh, Bob Forrest and I were constantly going back and forth to Washington and meeting with, uh, with different people, the effort to get the bill into the tax reform package was, uh, you know, Herculean, if, if you will. And then to suddenly find yourself excluded from that uh, was quite devastating. But when it actually did happen and it became part of the, uh, the, the omnibus budget bill, we got a call literally 10 o'clock Wednesday night that it was being talked about. It was put into the bill Thursday morning, it was voted Friday night, and the president signed it, for, uh, excuse me, Friday uh, Friday morning. And then it was law. So, I mean, it, it, it happened so fast when it did happen, and it took our breath away. What a relief. Yeah. Yeah. So this is such a significant thing, obviously, for Newman's Own and the foundation, but also mm-hmm. has sort of a ripple effect for this innovative business model. I know that there have been, there's not a lot, but there have been um, some companies formed sort of out of the inspiration of Newman's Own um, to have this model of 100% of profits to charity. So how does this really impact your future moving forward? And and how do you think that larger sort of ripple effect for some of those businesses might be impacted? I think it's quite dramatic. I mean, if you think about for ourselves, we have worried for um, since 2008 when Paul passed away as to whether or not we were going to be forced to have to break up the company. Uh, and you can imagine how that influences the sorts of decisions that you have. We now have the certainty of knowing that the model that Paul wanted and designed will be able to survive, and uh, uh, we can begin to take the actions now to uh, uh, map things more uh, confidently for the future. But exactly as you described, along the journey here, we have come across so many other companies and are actually now working with 25 of them who have committed to give 100% of their profits to charity. Many of them were inspired by Paul or inspired by the Newman's Own uh, model, and we think that it's it's the beginning of a growing movement that is going to uh, take hold, and we want to do everything that we can to try and help them. 
they too, because they're young companies and founded by entrepreneurs who are fortunately still with us, haven't faced this challenge. But depending on, on the route that they chose, if they did adopt fully our model, they too would have faced the same situation and the potential breakup down the road. So there's now a viable path forward for these companies to know that they can survive the uh, passing of their founder, and you can plan with much greater certainty in, in that regard. So we, we think it's a, a very positive step forward. Absolutely. So, Jeff, how did you get interested in, um, in, in Newman's Own and, you know, a social entrepreneurship? Sure. I am, uh, am actually a recovering banker. I had spent my entire <laughs> career in uh, commercial banking, and when I uh, retired from that, I knew that I had, uh, you know, one more good chapter to write and had always, you know, being a lifelong Connecticut resident, I was, uh, um, I remember the day that I heard that Paul was creating this company. I lived 20 minutes from the Hole in the Wall camp, which was the first camp that he founded mm -hmm. for uh, children with life-limiting conditions. I've been very much aware of his activities for uh, forever, and to have the opportunity to become associated with a company like this was, uh, you know, a lifelong dream. Well, I know so many people obviously look to Newman's Own as the 100% um, of profits to charity, but you all have a pretty robust social responsibility program that runs throughout your culture. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that and, and your some of your things that you do with employees, employee engagement? Sure. I think that, um, you know, we, we have a, a simple rule, and Bob Forrester, our CEO, is, is always saying that when anyone from the outside looks at anything to do with the company, we want them to see what they would expect from Newman's own. And, you know, as, as you know, we were founded on two principles, that quality trumps profit and that all profits go to charity. So it's very much uh, part of the DNA of the company to think that way. That, you know, we recently uh, uh, renovated the building that we, uh, we occupy and wanted to make sure that that was done with sustainability in mind. Our benefits are very progressive as it relates to uh, um, how we look at our employees and the partnership that we have with our, uh, our associates. And we want it to be reflected in everything that we do. And of course, 100% of the profits and royalties that we uh, receive are all given to charity. So we have a very robust grant-making function that uh, um, works with a number of charities around the world. I just can't, kind of can't help but think, I mean, obviously, Vicki and I are really involved in this whole CSR movement or social yeah. entrepreneurship, whatever you want to call it. And, and we still have a fair amount of doubters, right? People that mm -hmm. want you to sell them on this concept. And so uh, it's hard for me to imagine in 1982 the vision that Paul had for this. Was he pretty convicted about it or was it, what was sort of the impetus for it? Yeah, you know, I, I think Paul was um, a very humble individual, and he viewed acting as his profession. Uh, and so when the, when they first decided to market the product, they, like I said, it was almost a lark or a joke that they were doing, and they were just uh, uh, kind of playing around. But when they spoke to uh, the large supermarket chain that was going to um, that was going to put it in their stores, they said, you know, it's a great product. Uh, people who buy it will buy it again because it tastes good. But you have to have a reason for them to buy it the first time, Paul. You're going to have to put your picture on it. And that really bothered Paul because he thought that was kind of crass commercialism. He never felt it was right to cash in on his own celebrity, and he struggled with this for a while. And then he said, well, if we have to put my picture on the, uh, the front to get people to buy it, I don't want to ever personally benefit from it. 
so we're going to give 100% of the profits to charity. And it was, it was kind of, you know, it just began like that. And from the very first bottle that sold, every penny of profit that was generated from it has been given to charity, which has now, we just recently topped $500 million. Wow. And how many people are employed? It's actually a very small company. We have uh, fewer than 80 employees. Mm-hmm. Still, it's 80 people who have jobs, yeah. you know. Right. I, it's well, uh, you know the, the indirect benefit. You know, we have, yeah. we work with the best producers for all the products that we have. All of the recipes are ours, and we work with the absolute best in producing them under our specifications. So the indirect employment that we have mm-hmm. is certainly in the hundreds, but actually part of the Newman's own uh, family is about 80 people. How do you choose the charities? You know that it's one of the reasons that the uh, uh, that Paul created the foundation in uh, in two thousand and five was to professionalize that. We do have a full staff of professional grants writers who work under uh, parameters that Paul was very much involved in when he was alive in terms of the priorities that we uh, um, that we support. And we try and be very innovative. We're not, you know, in the, in the total scope of things, in terms of foundations, we're not a large foundation like the Gates Foundation, but we're large enough to uh, be able to make meaningful enough, uh, enough grants. And so every year we look at, within the context of our, our giving guidelines, what are the different possibilities, and we try and come up with the different ways in which to uh, make the most out of the, the monies that we're granting. We all know that millennials are kind of dro- like driving this, well, in my opinion, maybe I shouldn't say we all know, but in my opinion, millennials are really driving um, a, a significant interest in having business participate and doing good or doing well, all of that. Mm-hmm. How do you guys, now Paul Newman, I knew as a, as a kid, but um, some of these millennials probably will not. So how how do you see that affecting um, the future of the company and the foundation? Well, I, you know, I think that uh, uh, they don't specifically know Paul Newman as the celebrity, mm-hmm. but they do recognize his picture on the front of the salad dressing. I mean, we've done a tremendous amount of uh, work with millennials to understand how they uh, they approach this, and I think there's a there, there's a couple of things. They're very familiar with the brand. They're very familiar with the visibility uh, of the icons of the brand and Paul's image on the front. They don't have to understand that he was a worldwide celebrity, but they do uh, hopefully understand that 100% of the profits are given to charity. And millennials are so societally conscious and want to do uh, things that are benefiting the whole, if you will, uh, we find that they particularly respond well to the 100% profits to uh, to charity model, and I think that you know it, it, Paul always used to uh, brag uh, when the sale of salad dressing started to eclipse the grossing of his uh, uh, of his movies. He just thought that was absolutely tremendous. It was never in his mind about him; it was about doing good and providing a great product and being able to give all the profits to charity. So I think that. Uh, you know he would be he would be pleased with that, and we think our message particularly resonates well with the millennials. So we're very encouraged. We think there's a whole new generation that's going to grow up knowing Newman's Own in a whole different way. It's a great answer to to know that it isn't about Paul. It's about you know the right. desires for uh, the um, the employable. You know, right? Absolutely. One of the questions that we always ask folks, Jeff, on this program is. 
What advice would you give to other companies who might be interested in engaging in some sort of social enterprise, corporate social responsibility program? What types of things do you think that they have to have in place? I think the, uh, you know, the best advice I can give is consistency. Keep it simple. Uh, try and be true to it in everything that you do. Uh, don't compromise uh, uh, along those lines and, uh, and just be consistent in the, in the application. As I said, that, you know, Paul started the company with two principles, give all the profits to charity and quality should always trump profit. And that's the way we run the company today. It's the way it's been run for the last 35 years. Uh, and it's just proof that a company can do well by doing good. Well, congratulations on just um, your recent February 9th, right? <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Victory, and what a relief. Uh, just imagine how much time that 1,500 meeting person is going to get back to his <laughs> life. Right. <laughs> um, where can, um, I think everybody knows what, what the Newman's own products look like, but if they want to do a quick review because they aren't familiar with all of them, where can they, uh, they find you? Sure. They can get more information you know, on the web. It's newmanzonefoundation.org or uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They can go to at newmanzonefdm for uh, foundation. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today, share My pleasure. this really timely issue with our listeners, and also thank you and to Newman's Own for fighting the good fight for this innovative business model that um, changes the lives of so many people. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Let's give a big thank you to Matthew Sosi, our podcast engineer. You can visit the Taking Care in Business website at takingcareinbusiness.com. Or just visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Taking Care in Biz. That's Taking Care in B-I-Z. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at any time at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, take, take care, care in, in business. business.